0: All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and Jr. might be able to pass one out to you. If you do have a Bible, 2 Kings chapter 2 this morning, this summer we're continuing in our little bit of a series. Kind of Sunday school lessons that we can learn from. So we're taking some Old Testament stories and we are looking at them maybe a little closer to apply them to our lives. So three weeks ago, we talked about Joseph and everything he went through and tried to apply that to our lives, that God is good in the midst of evil. Last week, we talked about Joshua and the battle at Jericho, knowing that there's going to be spiritual battles in our life, but we'd be confident to obey. I think we said it like this, Simple faith should equal simple obedience. And try to text that to some of you in the midweek reminder. There was not much more to say, but sometimes we just have to believe when we don't see. And we just have to trust, and we just have to obey, and take one step at a time and give thanks. What a powerful weapon against evil to praise the Lord. So this week, as I was thinking what to talk about. My mind went back to an old teaching I had heard uh, many years ago, and though I didn't even go listen to it, just the story came to my attention. I began to look into it a little further, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you today. I wanted to talk about two prophets in the Old Testament, names that you're probably familiar with, but sometimes maybe you get them confused. They both start with E, and so you're thinking, yeah, and oftentimes we hear a story and we're like, do you mean Elijah or Elisha? And oftentimes we're like, I have no clue. <laughs> Just the guy who did a lot of miracles, right? And sometimes we think of the stories and we get them mixed up. Well, that guy fought the prophet of Baal. That guy cast bears on those teenagers who were rude. Don't encourage you to do that. But anyways... Yes, we have these two prophets, but Elijah came first, and then he was followed by Elisha. Now, all of this is in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and we also know that Elijah was one of the few couple that never died. So, we have Enoch in the book of Genesis, and then we have Elijah, and we're not sure where Moses' body kind of ended up. We hear there's a little fight over it uh, in the book of Jude. But here's Elijah who gets taken up, you might remember, in a whirlwind. Now in Sunday school, because it's kind of like a Sunday school thing, you might have had the coloring paper of him going up in the chariot of fire. Does anyone ever remember that? The chariot of fire came and took him up. But scripture tells us it wasn't the chariot that took him, but it was the whirlwind. And I learned that because I was in a trivia contest once and someone said, how did Elijah depart? And I was like, well, that's obvious. The chariot of fire. Someone stumped me and said, no, it was the whirlwind. Okay, well, okay. So, but now I have one for my kids. Especially, uh, Gabriel's not here, but he's always trying to stump me with trivia, so I can, I'm glad he's not here, so now I can ask him. No, um, a whirlwind. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, we'll just follow the story with me. Remember, Elijah is just about to be taken in the whirlwind, but he has with him the one that will follow after him, the one that he is anointed to be the next prophet, Elisha. So in chapter 2, our story goes like this in the book of 2 Kings. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, there we go, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Verse 4, then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today so he answered yes I know keep silent then Elijah said to him stay here please for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan but he said as the Lord lives as your soul lives I will not leave you so the two of them went on and fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood, facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan, being the Jordan River. Verse 8, now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way, that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Verse 9, and so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you? Elisha said, Please Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elijah crossed over. So we'll finish there. And we have quite an action packed story this week. How many have read that story before? Raise your hand. Yes, how many are somewhat new? I have read that story many times, but I wanted to look a little deeper into it, give a little application. Um, for our lives, because it definitely seems on this day that they are leaving, that they are on a journey. A journey that starts at Gilgal, goes to Bethel, then to Jericho, then to the Jordan, and then up into heaven for Elijah. Just a few notes on this journey. Back in 1 Kings, some of you might know that Elisha was somewhat of a farmer, and he had oxen, and he was working his land when Elijah came and tapped him and said, come with me, you are called to be the next prophet of Israel. At that moment, what happens is Elisha says, well, just wait a minute in 1 Kings, I need to go tell my family, and Elijah basically says, come now or don't come. So he then slaughters his oxen, and has this sacrifice, praises the Lord, and follows Elijah over the next little while till we come to this, this amazing journey, and this amazing journey of this day, which covers four specific places. I was thinking last night, I wasn't sleeping well, and usually when I don't sleep well, one of the best things to fall asleep is, guess what? Start to pray, right? And then, bam, (laughs) then you fall asleep. So you can't fall asleep, and you know you should pray, but then when you actually do pray, you do fall asleep. So anyways, uh, I didn't fall asleep right away, but it came to my attention, just mulling this story over again and again and again in my head. I did want to challenge you as we begin of how Elisha started following Elijah. We know in the New Testament that Jesus says very clearly this invitation, always an invitation, follow me. Follow me. Remember he said it to his disciples, first to Peter and Andrew, follow me. Then he said it to James and John, follow me. And one of the great words in the Gospel of Mark, as you read in the first couple of chapters, the word immediately happens over and over again. But when Jesus does call Andrew and Peter, it says they immediately left their boats. It says they immediately followed him. And James and John, immediately the same thing. Now, obviously, I think we all struggle a bit. We all could say, yeah, we follow the Lord. We're desiring to follow the Lord. But sometimes I think in my life and maybe your life, there are many distractions that can come up and the immediately of following him becomes a pause or a delay. We get distracted. And sometimes even the things of our family, sometimes the things of work, sometimes the things of our house, sometimes the things of our career, which Elisha has here, can easily, unbeknownst to us, be taking precedence of truly following the Lord. And I don't mean this in a condemning way, but I would rather encourage you, but I think some of our modern day Christianity has been about us being, uh, how could I put it? It's almost like the Lord is here and he's a good luck charm. And I want to put him in my pocket so I have a better career I have a better family life. I have a better, if I just take God and add him to my life, that's okay. But I'm still doing what I want to do. Maybe that's possibly sinning. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's just simply trying to live life to the fullest. But if someone would say to us, no, Jesus is calling immediately. He's calling us to go. He's calling us to obey, no matter what it is. I would ask you this morning, is your heart to immediately put things down and follow him? And I ask myself that question. It's easy to become comfortable even in the Christian life where we lose the sense that Christ is all in all. That Christ is everything. Everything. And if Christ says go, I go. If Christ says stay, I stay. If Christ says quit, I quit. If Christ says apply, I apply. If Christ says do the dishes, I do the dishes. Cut the lawn, cut the lawn. But I'm amazed in our culture how often we are trying to maybe determine things for our life and then we ask God about it instead of allowing God to be the one to set the course of our life. And I'm putting myself at the top of the list, okay? And I remember a time in my life where it was much easier to do the immediate. <laughs> um, but Jesus says to us today, follow me. The disciples didn't linger in their fishing boats, did they? They immediately came, follow me. And I'm not asking you to change careers or move to Africa but I am asking myself and you this morning that our lives would be led by Jesus Christ and not our own brain, which I am very guilty of. Okay, so as we go, I want you to note the first part, spot they c- go from is Gilgal. And I did ask one of my kids, I don't forget who it was, do you know where Gilgal is? Or I think it was again Gabriel. He was trying to figure out all these places as I was mentioning them to him. He's like, I have no idea where that is. And maybe you would say, I have no idea where Gilgal is, but it's a pretty cool name. Anyways, I'm not from Perth, I'm from Gilgal, right? Like, that'd be pretty cool, right? Um, It is mentioned in the book of Joshua chapter 5, to go back a little bit to last week, but it was the place before they attacked Jericho. So all these places actually are about five to eight miles apart when you get there. So they're walking a good distance. They're they're not out for like a social walk, like I walk, you know, and obviously the mode of transportation back then is their legs. So they're walking quite a bit, but they start in Gilgal, which is just outside of Jericho. And what happened in Gilgal, probably more important to us in Joshua chapter 5, was Joshua asked the people to be recircumcised in that place. Now, we're not here to talk about bloody... Yucky. <laughs> it is kind of a weird thing, right? But those he asked to be recircumcised were those in the desert who were under 40. You might remember the journey of Israel. They started in Egypt. Everyone came out and they were in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. Because they didn't enter the promised land, all those who were above the age 40 died off and all the younger generation was there with Joshua entering the promised land. But because they didn't know the commitment and the covenants of the past, it wasn't personal to them, they hadn't done this rite of circumcision. We know in the New Testament it matters not, Paul says in Romans chapter 2, rather, it's a circumcision of the heart a cutting away of the old, okay? That's what it means, and the new is Christ. So don't get in, oh, what is this? Should I do that? That's not the point here today. The point is there was a recommitment of a generation back to the Lord before they entered. And I suspect in our midst, and I'll go through this one quickly That there have been a lot of you who have grown up in Christian homes. I would just suspect some of you got saved later on. And Christianity to a lot of us is just cultural. It's what we do. It's how we've been raised. It's what we know. Even in our country, we say we're Christians by name. I remember talking to Carter years ago, and there was somebody I was asking about who wanted to come to Canada. And I said, well, what about so-and-so? Are they a believer? He said, well, you have to understand, Dan, here, there's Orthodox Christian by name, and there's actually people who live Christianity. And there's a difference. And I think that difference is a covenant between you and God, where you receive his grace, his love, his mercy, and then you live for him. Circumcision is a very private thing in the heart And it was back there with other intimate parts to show a commitment in the most private, secret place that I am fully the Lord's. But the problem is sometimes we become cultural Christians by name and we haven't truly made that commitment with our heart. And maybe, maybe not all of you, maybe some of you, but I would ask you this morning... Why are you a Christian? Because Canada is a Christian country? Because my parents are Christians? Because that's just what I'm supposed to be? Or have you truly come to that point of covenant with Jesus Christ where you've accepted his love, you've experienced him, and you've made that commitment, I am yours. The church will not grow, meaning all Christians, if we are culturally or living on past experience of Christianity. Because today is my day to covenant with God in belief that you are everything. That's where it starts, amen? And maybe in some ways some of you have fallen back into a cultural by name christianity and god wants to call you out and say no you need to make covenant with me you need to accept in your heart and confess with your mouth that i am lord of all it's not because so-and-so says you're a christian or you grow up with christians or because you go to northgate or because your parents have a good testimony in heaven it's you and him amen Gilgal is the start of the journey. Gilgal is the start of true commitment. They move on to Bethel. And Bethel is an interesting place. It happens with Jacob when he leaves his father and his mother in a little bit of turbulence, you might remember. He just stole the blessing from his brother. His mother, she's on his side. Dad just confused and blind. But mom goes to dad and says, you better get him out of here because brother wants to do him in. Right? You remember that? So he starts this journey to his uncle Laban, first night, first stop. It's actually called Luz. But he has this dream, sleeping on a rock. Don't suggest that as well. I don't know why they do this, but it doesn't sound very comfortable. Anyway, it says he slept on a stone. And he had a dream, a vision of God, and a ladder, remember in Bethel, where the angels are ascending and descending, and he says at this place, I have met God. Amazing. And after he leaves this place, he has this amazing statement to say, I know God will go with me, even though I'm going into a land I don't know. He's going to see his uncle. And that's where he meets and has some love issues with the two ladies, right? <laughs> Leah and Rachel and that whole debacle that happens there. But as he does go, he has experienced God in an amazing way to know that God is with him. In your Christian walk, as you're following, God wants to reveal himself to you after you've covenanted yourself to him. It is just like God to continually speak to you amen (laughs) you are in a living relationship with God Bethel has this idea of a place where you experience God it is not weird to experience God can I tell you that this morning that should be a regular part of your life now we know Jacob comes back many years later he's got a few more with him 12 boys maybe more girls. We only know one's name, Dinah. They come back and they're journeying back and they get into the land and God tells him, go back to Bethel. Go back to the place where you experienced me. He's having a little family problems. Okay, go back to Bethel. Go back to the place where you have truly experienced me. And he builds an altar, but it's very interesting that he says to everyone in his home, his children, a lot of them are grown, he says, give me all your idols. We're going to bury them, and we're going to start again. How about that, okay? Laz becomes Bethel, experiences 20 years, goes back, goes back to the place. Give me all the idols, and we're going to bury them, and we're going to start again. And that's when Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And God does this amazing work. But I guess on your journey, as you make a commitment to God, you experience God, again, and this is maybe a little repetitious, but there comes a point where we can just gather a few idols. (laughs) A few idols. And I bet you some of you coming in this this hall today, you, you got a few idols with you. And they're not statues and you don't bow down to them. But sometimes things like money, security, family can quickly become idols in our life. And we need to evaluate and go back to where we've experienced God and say, listen, in my heart, i got to bury those and go back to your love and start again. I believe in my lack of sleep last night. It was great. Anyways that the Lord whispered in my ear, some of us are carrying idols. But they're not the idols you think of the Middle East. They're the idols of the North American life. And they look good. And they're easy to hide behind. Because culturally, in our wisdom, they're very acceptable. But God's saying enough is enough. And on your journey with him, in Bethel, going back to Bethel, from Gilgal, experiencing him, today, would you bury them and start fresh and new? Don't you love Elisha when Elijah says, hey buddy, you just stay here. I'm going on ahead. You stay back. And what was Elisha's response all the time? No way. I'm hanging on. You're not leaving me. And that's your journey with Christ as the world and the devil wants to say, you just stay there with your idols. You just stay there, maybe not experiencing God or back and not truly committing. You just stay there. And Elisha says, no way am I staying. When you follow Christ, you got to hold on because honestly, you know what, I don't know what you think, Christianity is, but sometimes it's hard to everything else that is hitting our mind in our life, and we have to choose, what would it call, what would Jesus call it? The narrow path. Where he says you have to leave all of what you think culturally is wisdom to say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus i love bethel I even have a sermon on it but i won't get into that today <laughs> the next place they go is jericho almost the last and i don't want to spend time on jericho this morning because we if you missed it that was last week's sermon but can i tell you as you're following committed giving things to the lord as they sneak into your life the enemy is going to want to fight you and that's the battle of jericho okay that's the spiritual battle and last week I said, open your eyes, because it's real. And one of the devil's greatest lies is, there's no spiritual battle, but there is, and we need to wake up. Okay? But with the power of praise, God's word, and prayer, and truly knowing who we are in Christ, we can take down Jericho and the walls of evil by believing in Jesus Christ. Amen? But on your journey, not letting go, don't think that there's not going to be battles with evil. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Wake up, right? Okay, let's leave that aside and move on. They come to the edge of the Jordan. The Jordan River split once for them to go through in terms of the children of Israel going into the Promised Land. And here it's split by the mantle being thrown down the cloak or whatever you want to call it. Crossing the Jordan has tremendous significance in the believer's life. As you cross over, in God's power, who parted the river? Not Elijah, God did, right? He just, in faith, put it down and crossed over. I really believe the Jordan, as we enter the land, and you might have heard this in Hebrews chapter 4 and 5, is your place of bearing fruit in rest in God. So your christian journey starts actually you think it's almost a little bit all about you idols and sin can creep in you're fighting them there's a spiritual battle but i want to tell you there's a huge inheritance for you in jesus christ god would have it for each one of you in this room to bear fruit amazing fruit for him But so often we're back in Gilgal or Bethel and we never cross the Jordan and God's saying I have rest. Rest means God's done it all. My faith is grown. It's all about him and then my life produces amazing fruit for God's glory and that's what we should desire. Amen. Too often we're in maintenance mode when God says, There's so much more on this journey, and Elijah says, I'm going, but I sometimes say, Well, you go ahead on that one. (laughs) Because I don't know if there's any fruit for me. I don't know if I can really do this. I don't know if God wants to change Lanark County. I don't know if God wants to use me. You don't really know who I am. You don't know my struggle. You don't know my weakness. You don't know my sin. And God would say, Jesus did it all. Believe in me, in faith, walk in the land. But we're saying, the giants are too big, just like the spies. And God is saying to us, no, there's a place where you walk into the land where the gardens all already are cultivated, and you just got to pick the fruit, because that's what. there was no more manna. The wilderness is past, you're in a new land, there's no more manna. It's all those countries had gardens, and they just had to work to pick it off and believe, and trust, and fight, knowing God would win the battle with the the hail and the wasp, but there's so much fruit waiting for you and for I if we will believe and walk forward in our experience, and get rid of our idols, and cast our mantle down, and walk through in faith. It is time to stop thinking that you cannot produce amazing fruit in your life. Yesterday I was at Caleb's graduation and it was long. I was getting, woof, and it was hot. But I got through his class, they decided to do another one, and the one couple was leaving, another couple was coming. I never heard so many thank yous in my life. So many gifts, so many plants. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, we're all thankful. Let's give everyone a big hug and cut this baby off. That <laughs> three hour mark, my back is full of sweat. You! but I was listening, okay, I was. <laughs> Even though Kel's part was done an hour ago. The one girl taking over the music and arts DTS was saying their leaders, she used to argue with her husband but their leaders had taught them that one couple could change many in the world. And she argued that there's no way, one person doesn't, one couple doesn't have that power said, I've learned that with God, working in people's lives, one person can change many. The fruit of your life, God has so much potential and desire to use you if you will truly not be a cultural Christian and sacrifice that realm to say, I will follow you no matter what, you don't know the fruit that God has for you. You don't know in your life the fruit that God has for you of joy and peace and love and joy and sinlessness. God has that fruit for you to walk in if you believe in him and not get stuck back. It's been an incredible journey for me this year in growing in the truth that I always knew here, here, of God's love. It's released me and, I believe, my wife to greater growth. And I always previously wanted to think or need affirmation to how it's growing, and I never got it. And now when I don't care, because I'm just stepping out in faith and trusting Jesus, everybody's affirming me. How about that? I don't need it anymore. I was sitting this Tuesday after a prayer meeting with pastors... Couple individuals stayed behind, and they're like, "Oh, Dan, you're so different this last year." And I'm like, "Oh, what? Haven't I always been the same?" And I'm like, well, "Can you define that?" And they're like, "Yeah, you're way more confident in the Lord." And I was like, "I really needed to hear that about five years ago." <laughs> but the reality, I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying, I was just stepping into the truth in faith more and more. And it is a battle, but there is fruit for me and for you. And I don't want you to live in the same place when God's got so much more. I don't want to live in the same place, with the same lies, and the same struggles. Because God says, you can believe my truth. Finally, what is this crazy request? Give me a double portion. I thought it was kind of cool. Thought maybe someday I'll get a tattoo. <laughs> Just joking. Anyways, <laughs> it would be kind of cool. Double portion right here. Plus double, yeah so Elijah said what do you want you could have anything almost like Solomon asking for wisdom right what do you want boy you followed me you won't let me go what do you really want could ask for riches could have asked for many things I just want a double portion of your spirit and I would propose to you it wasn't the spirit of Elijah it was the spirit of God in Elijah saying I want more Now, Scripture does denote to us that Elisha did exactly double the miracles that Elijah did. But I don't want to focus necessarily on miracles or the supernatural, but I want to ask you as you enter that land and you trust God, after you committed yourself to Him and you move through this idea of getting your idols away and experiencing God, do you really want a double portion of the Holy Spirit? spirit i'm not going to get into a theological battle today yes the holy spirit lives in us but if you don't believe at all that your desire for god is important i've got news for you you need to wake up you need to ask and desire for god to move within you no matter your theological background Whether you believe the Spirit come once and is totally there or continually fills you, I could care less this morning, but what I could care about is do you desire more of the work of Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit within you? Is that truly your desire to say, I want more than I've seen in your life, Elijah? I want more! I got excited. It's because those idols, those idols, those cultural Christianity, that not wanting to cross the river, you know, that fear that so easily takes us to control our own lives, and God is saying, let go. New Testament over and over asks, Ask. 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 Have you been asking? God, I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. God, I need you. I need you every hour. I need you in my interaction with my neighbors. I need you at work. I need you with my family. I can't do this. God, I need you. And not a little. I need double. I need double. I'm struggling, God. I need you again and again and again. And I cannot get lulled to sleep by culture or fear. God, I need you. I've got news for you. Here's what God says. He's a good Father. Do you hear me? He's not like, oh, here's the carrot, but you can't have it. He's not like that. He says He's a good Father, and if you ask, He will give to you. 1 John says very clearly, if we will ask according to His will, that He will hear us And answer, do you think it's God's will that you would be more like him and have more of his spirit and presence in your life? I don't think God wants that for me. (laughs) Maybe for the person to the left of me. God wants you to have more of him and he's waiting and desiring to fill you. And we get so put aside with silliness and silly arguments. And God's saying, it's about me and you, not how that church does ministry or that person or what that theological position is. And we just lose it. And so much so that Paul said to some of his disciples, I think of Titus, if there's a divisive arguer about certain things, get him out of here. Because it's here, vertical. We need more of God every day. And he wants to give it. In your life, where you're at, in your challenges, which are different than mine, he says, ask for a double portion. And if that's the supernatural, that's not what I'm after, But I guarantee you, that'll be a part of it. Supernatural patience. Supernatural joy. Supernatural love. (laughs) We don't even have to get into the miracles. That's a miracle in itself, huh? But God wants the world to know that he's real too. The last time you prayed for someone who's been sick in the world, we don't do that i don't know if god will answer i don't either but when's the last time you had the faith to do it because god we need a double portion to change us to change this world we're not here to be comfortable we're here to walk the narrow road going through gilgal bethel jericho with our battles crossing the jordan desiring more of him amen Amen. oh i thought i was way later praise the lord (laughs) must have started early right let's pray thank you lord jesus i was thinking it's not sunday morning that's going to change anything yeah i was thinking on my drive yesterday church is not about sunday morning folks I want to tell you that. Listen to me. Church is not about Sunday morning. Church is about people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I so desire that God would take us beyond this church experience that we would live as the family of God with a double portion each day of our lives. Amen? I don't care where people go to church. I want people to be full and overflowing with the power and the love of our God. Is that what you want this morning? Honestly, maybe you need to put some idols away. Maybe you just need to ask. Maybe you need the faith to just believe. Put that mantle down and cross to Jordan. Maybe you're stuck somewhere and you just need to hold on. And I'm going to follow. God, I'm going to follow. You're so gracious. You're so good. How could I not want to follow you? It's almost a sermon that needs a little bit of a response. So Holy Spirit, show us how to respond today. In our hearts, in our lives, show us how to respond. invite you again, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Take over this meeting. You lead, you guide. David, why don't you just come and I just want David to sing. Don't worry about communion just yet. I just want you to pray and listen to God as he sings. Could you do that this morning before you rush off or think about what's next? We will celebrate the Lord Jesus. but Maybe you could spend some time as you listen to David just asking God what he wants you to do, how he wants you to respond. Spend some time in his presence this morning. Think on him with your mind and with your heart. There'll be people at the back if you need prayer. Maybe after David sings a little bit, we'll go into communion. But I just want to have a time where you can respond to God in your heart, thinking on him. If you need to pray with someone, again, there's people at the back. Grab a neighbor, whatever it is, or if you want to pray with someone. This is church. Then I'll let you know when it's time for the elements. Let's just think on him now.